Welcome to the Sales and Marketing Summit. I'm here with Joe Polizzi, uh, who is the guru of content marketing. Uh, started the Content Marketing Institute, which is one of the innovators in thinking about how to use content to help market businesses. In other words, how businesses should use content to uh, talk about concepts in their industry that are impacting their industry and how their applications or their corporate applications can be used. And so, uh, Joe, welcome to today's conference. We're really excited to have you. You've also written a number of books about marketing uh, and really have developed this whole Content Marketing Institute uh, and content marketing trend in this industry. Hey, Craig, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, when, when <laughs> I started in this industry in 2000 and nobody called it content marketing. And we figured we had better start calling it something so that marketers actually paid attention to it. They used to call it, used to be called custom publishing, custom media. And we're like, okay, if you want marketers to pay attention, you better call it something marketing. So we started calling it content marketing and it's become one of the fastest growing areas in marketing simply because as you and I have talked about before, you have more and more companies out there that are saying, look, we can't be on other social platforms. We have to figure out how we can communicate with our audience on a regular basis. How do we do that? We need to create valuable, relevant, compelling information on an ongoing basis and have them actually want to uh, pay attention to our marketing, that we have sending something of value instead of always just selling and and they can ignore that at will. So we, we have a lot of companies that are saying taking the media into their own hands and saying, we're going to become the media resource for our industry. And it's it's uh, it's worked out pretty well, including for, for you as well. You know, I heard about your podcast. Actually, FreightWave's got a shout out. You guys called us the CNN of transportation logistics. And so uh, it was something that uh, that's how I initially uh, started listening to uh the podcast uh, that you guys do each week, where you talk about marketing concepts and issues and really bringing the intersection of media and content branding uh, and talking about all of the stuff that's taking place. It's interesting because now there is a broader awareness of how content marketing and audiences and communities, how much value they bring. We saw the transaction of Barstool Sports being acquired this, this past summer, last year, I should say, um, and what they did for Penn, what that did for Penn National, yeah. uh, certainly uh, in terms of bringing a younger audience to a brand. But you've also seen companies like Red Bull and Marriott that have used their publishing and media arms to really create brand identity. Uh, there was one last week, I think, that Travel and Leisure got purchased uh, for that uh, particular purpose is, is tied into long-term vacation rentals. I'm curious, is this something that over the next decade you're expecting to see a lot? We ex should expect to see a lot of brands do? It's, it's a great question. Um, so you have the buy or build scenario. So look at Red Bull, great example. One of the early adopters to content marketing, they started 15 years ago with a believe it or not, a print magazine that they delivered at the racetrack. And that print magazine, Red Bulletin, is now delivered to 2 million people all around the world. And of course, you've got Red Bull Television. They've got their own entertainment label. They really are. Uh, I mean, they're sort of the ESPN for uh, crazy sporting <laughs> events. And then, oh, by the way, why don't you drink some Red Bull? Now, they decided to build all their platforms. They brought in 
producers and content creators. And, and of course, that's fantastic. And most businesses do that. But it does take time. I mean, it took Red Bull three, four years just to get their footing because you are investing in a whole product area that you're not used to. This You're building a media company inside your organization. Well, you have a lot of businesses out there with budget and cash, and they can say, look, maybe it would be better for us to go out and buy that property. So, And by the way, it's not just you talked about the travel and leisure example. Wyndham Destinations purchased that. They now have an audience of people that were subscribed to travel and leisure and now they're subscribed to you know Wyndham Destinations publication and they're buying all that talent as well. It's a great opportunity for them. But if you're saying, okay, well, how do we build an audience that a loyal audience of subscribers and how do we do it um, in a way that makes sense? You could say, okay, well, maybe there are some influencers out there. Maybe there's some YouTubers, maybe there's some bloggers, maybe there's some podcasters. It doesn't just have to be a travel and leisure type publication. There's all types of opportunities out there. And I've been having these discussions with chief marketing officers for, I think the first one I had, I think was 2008, when they were trying, this is a, a, a large top 50 company. The meeting was in Singapore. And they were saying, okay, well, how do we go and build a blog in every one of these content areas? And we said, is that Robert Rose, my co-host on this old marketing podcast? We said, well, you don't have to build it in every platform. You could actually go out and purchase it. Is there a media company available? So this is 12 years ago. And the chief marketing officer was like, what? Like, you can do that? Well, now chief marketing officers, VPs of marketing are out there. They're, they're not surprised anymore. They're saying, oh, yeah, let's go out and purchase that. We've got plenty of money, plenty of resources. So let's go out and get that done. And we don't have to take two to three years to build that loyal audience. We can actually acquire that immediately. So I would say that if you're looking for a trend in 2021, you're going to see a lot of companies of all sizes uh, acquire a number of media properties from you know, small influencers, entrepreneurs to mid-sized to large media companies. And let's just face it. I mean, I come from media. I've been in media for 20 years. Media com Most media companies don't have a lot of money. Who has all the money? Enterprises. They have the money and then you just have to figure out, okay, do we want to, how do we want to get that money? You bring your CFO in and facilitate that conversation and, and uh, it's happening all around us. And the multiples in media are oftentimes, particularly if you look at like technology uh, multiples or brand multiples, is quite different than what media companies typically trade at. Or they're trading at, you know, six to eight times EBITDA. Uh, yep. And technology companies are trading at multiples of revenue. Yeah, I mean, what, you see a tech company that go for two, three times revenue and you wouldn't be surprised at it. But if you look at a traditional media EBITDA, uh, you're probably looking at, I would say you're right. Six times if you've got a regular digital subscription base and maybe an event marketing model, which has changed a little bit with COVID, but you were looking at more your nine and 10 uh, times EBITDA model, but, but nothing to break the bank. And then you have a lot of companies out there, especially these influencers, um, bloggers, podcasters that have built a really amazing loyal audience, but they haven't figured out how to monetize it yet. So you could have a company, somebody listening to this might say, okay, well, that person has 50,000 subscribers that are my customers that I would love to purchase. How do you then value that? You might say you might value it at uh, $3 a subscriber. 
$5 a subscriber so you'd work on something. And we're seeing a lot of those deals done. I've done many of those deals where you just do it on a per subscriber basis if they're not generating any revenue yet. But you name it, the deals are being done however you want to look at it right now. Now, one of the things you've talked about is local newspapers. I mean, there's been this big issue of local newspapers dying in a lot of their communities. Uh, a lot of counties are actually losing entire newspapers where there isn't one serving that particular county across the country. But one of the things you've talked about is the fact that big brands should actually go out and buy the newspaper. Is that something that you think is going to happen? Do you think it's inevitable? It seems like one of the things I hear a lot about is where do you draw the lines between a brand and a media business and where are those lines meant to be blurred? Is there opportunity? How do you, how do you manage the conflicts of interest that may come up? Well, first of all, when I started in this business, I was in business to business media 20 years ago and you didn't cross that line ever there. You had the church and state, you had editorial on one side, you had sales on the other. And we even went so far as when an advertiser came in our office, we had to make sure that the, the chief editor wasn't around. Like you didn't want them to even talk to each other. It was crazy. Uh, we don't have that anymore. Just so you know, there is nothing going. I mean, there, if you look at most media properties out there, now there's, there's, there's a continuum, right? There's better ways and worse ways to do it. But you have most organizations that their editorial um, ad editorial team, if you're talking about branded content or anything like a Morning Brew or New York Times, a lot of those people are in the same room now making the same types of decisions because they're all focused on, let's say, the e-newsletter product. So, um, yes, the editorial team has to have standards. I hope they do. Uh, and you can set some processes in place so there's no issues. But let's let's talk about the real question, talk about you know, newspaper opportunities. The reason why I think there's an opportunity right now is because there are there is a local news gap like I've never seen before. And anytime there's a gap, somebody comes in with an opportunity. So, I mean, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. The the Cleveland Plain Dealer is our newspaper. They are, you know, they're hanging on. It's okay, but I could see down the road in a couple of years that you know, they're not going to be able to survive that model anymore because the advertising has dried up so much and paid subscriptions haven't fallen into place. Well, you've got a lot of big companies here in Cleveland. You've got Progressive, uh, you've got Eaton, you've got Lincoln Electric, uh, Parker Hannafin, a lot of big B2B companies, Lubrizol's, uh, part of Lubrizol's here. Well, why couldn't they get a consortium together and say for the goodwill of the city, what would that do? And by the way, pennies on the dollar for a progressive. I mean, come on. Progressives all over uh, the, the stadium down here. Of course, uh, you know, I was watching the Browns game recently and you've got the progressive commercials with Baker Mayfield. They're spending a lot of money. So yeah, there's, I mean, these stadium deals, like you mentioned, are, you know, measured in tens of millions of dollars versus what it would take to acquire a newspaper and then deal with the operating deficit. Yeah. Just like what progressive spends in their marketing campaigns, it's, it's insignificant compared to what they, or it's significant compared to what, if it was their own publication. Yeah. So I think that Craig, I think, I think the thing just to think about for the people listening to this conversation is you, you look at the spending a little bit different. You're built, you're buying an asset. It is a long-term asset. Um, you can look at it in many ways, however you look at it in your organization. You're not just buying advertising that you have to 
uh, or buying a you know pay-per-click ad that you've got to see return on immediately. This is much, much different. So what you do is when you buy that audience uh, and you have access to that audience now, you can look at the uh, success of that, the return on investment of that in many different ways. Do, do, does that audience over time, does that audience buy more of your product? Do they stay longer? Do you have an increased yield? Uh, can you actually launch new products off of that? Uh, in the case of our, our Aero Electronics, which is uh, one of the largest uh, electronic um, dis distribution companies in the world, they've got 52 different brands now. Each one of those brands by themselves is profitable. It's kicking off its own product from advertising and subscriptions. And then, oh, by the way, they're selling additional product there. So, yes. And by the way, to answer your other question, they have an editorial setup where there's a little bit of uh, cushion between the the advertising and the revenue and the editorial. And that's where you, you need that. You need to have some of that oversight there. Journalists, you still want. I mean, the thing that I've learned or seen is that typically marketing people versus journalists is a big difference in how they write, how they think and approach a story. And so journalists, you still want the ability for the journalist to, to write and tell the story in a way that is interesting and, a, and a more objective than perhaps a marketing, a typical marketing person would approach the, the topic. Well, that, the difference is, is that I don't want to, I mean, I'm a marketer, so I want to put down marketers, well, but, marketing but folks, yeah, exactly. But, yeah. but most marketers are coming at it where what's my marketing goal? You know, what do we need to accomplish? And that's all right. I mean, that's how we were trained in marketing. But if you are a journalist and you're thinking from that perspective, you're, you're thinking all about the audience's needs. Okay, who am I talking to? How do I make that help them learn something, get a better job, live a better life, something like that? And that's the difference. That's where we're talking about content marketing, where you really are focused audience first. And if you build a loyal relationship with that audience first, then you can sell them anything after the fact. Just keep delivering that value long-term and then you see the fruits of your labor and you're not just going to sell them something immediately. Joe, I, one of the things that I see is a lot of marketing executives that we interact with, um, when they attempt to do content marketing, it, it becomes very obvious that it was written as a marketing piece. Um, yeah. but, but when a journalist or someone who has a journalistic background writes marketing copy, they're, the story, it's a story that's much more compelling. I mean, is it, is it, does it go beyond just that a marketing person has an end game and they're trying to drive a KPI, customer acquisition cost or LTV to, to CAC? Is that what they're focused on? Or is there something more fundamental in how a journalist or a content marketer would approach it? No, I think, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to answer this the right way, Craig, but I, I think that the way that I see it is we've seen a fundamental shift in marketing and we really haven't noticed how it's changed. And it's changed from the fact that not everyone out there has a content marketing strategy, but the most innovative companies have become media companies in front of our eyes. Of course, you've got Disney out there. They're already, they've been a media company and their product company. But if you look at Amazon, Apple, Google, look at all the big tech companies, they're media companies and product companies. So I believe that that's where we're going. Now, so what does that mean? That means that marketing first is audience first. You build that audience first and then market to that audience. So I think the marketing people and the marketing expertise you have in a company now is all about how do we market the content? How do we market the content to build our audience? You build a loyal audience over time and then monetize the audience from there. And I, I don't know of a better way. I mean, 
how do you create a better way uh, of marketing when you're just delivering amazing, life-changing, life-altering information to your customer? So it's, That's it's it. building an audience first, right? It's getting the audience and the community engaged, constantly engaging them with topics that they care about, how to, how to make their business more successful, more profitable, solve these issues. That's when they give you permission to then market to you. Is that how you should someone should approach it or think about it? Yeah, I mean, if you if you look at, um, I call it the subscriber hierarchy, and it's a good way to think about it because a lot of us are, you know, we're all working on social media, trying to figure out our, you know, connections, our fans, our followers, and especially with with all the stuff that's happened recently with social media. What we've learned is that we don't control any of our connections any of our followers on social media those are all owned by the big tech big social media companies what we can control is if somebody out there likes our information so much they're willing to opt in give permission and generally that happens through some kind of email offering so when we look at the subscriber hierarchy something like a facebook and i want to put down facebook but they're really at the bottom. Facebook, and then you've got YouTube and TikTok and Snapchat and all those other things. And then you've got podcasts. You go up a little bit higher, and then you get to the top. The top is any kind of email offering or any kind of membership where somebody is giving you their email address because they are going to exchange that value for the value you're going to deliver ongoing basis. So that's where I would. That's what I would look at. Anybody's getting into this, I would say, okay, how do we? move up the chain and get those connections from social media moving all the way up so they give us opt-in permission because when you get opt-in permission, now you built an asset. That's, I mean, that's what we're talking about, paying on a per subscriber basis. What is a, how do you value a media company? I mean, a New York Times, you can value absolutely on revenue or EBITDA, but you're not, you don't value what a lot of people think is, oh, I gotta create more content. You don't value New York Times on how many stories they write or their, necessarily their content archive, you value them on the audience they have and how they monetize that audience. By the way, that's really no different than any other company out there. We just look at it differently. For sure. One thing you, you mentioned, and there's been a lot of in the news recently about the big tech companies, the big social media platforms, effectively having the right to turn off certain uh, voices or certain audiences. Uh, at any moment in time. Now, some of it, there's a, a lot of case of why they would want to do that, controversial uh, or polarizing content or what happened uh, around uh, sort of the social disrest. So we understand why, but, but they effectively, these are their, it's their audience that you're actually borrowing as you're putting content. You don't own the audience, but so much investment is around social media, at least in our industry, less so in sort of direct content management. What would you recommend an executive that wants to go into the C-suite and get budget for uh, developing content? What would you recommend that they do to justify building their own audiences that they own? Well, you have to go in with a hypothesis. So what, I mean, you're not just gonna say, oh, we should build an audience. Well, why should you build an audience? What's the goal? So you believe that if you build a loyal audience that X, Y, or Z is going to happen. You're going, like we talked about before, oh, we can uh, create uh, longer term customers or we can keep employees longer when we use it as a recruitment tool. Um, what is going to happen? What is the business 
objective that you can reach because you're going to invest in an audience. That's what you need to go in with. And then you work it back and say, okay, well, what is it going to take to get there? How long is it going to take? And that's when you have the question, like we talked about before, well, do you buy or build? That happens right at the start. And, and growing up in media, I learned that you have to ask that question first before you start building, because it's, in my opinion, sometimes a lot better to buy. And you can get that you can get there a lot, lot quicker. So I want to go in and say, okay, well, once I build that audience, like when with Content Marketing Institute, we started building that audience in 2010. And then in two, by 2011, we had enough of that audience to say, okay, well, now we can monetize that audience through a live event. And that live event turned into a you know six million dollar a year event, and we would say, oh, we're gonna now we're gonna monetize that through training, or now we're gonna sell these products, or we're going to buy this product and then sell as part of our product suite. So those are the types of things that you look at, and I think that if you are a VP of marketing today, you're really like a portfolio planner. You're like, okay, well, here's here's the audience. The audience is the valuable thing in the middle, and here's all the ways I can drive revenue from that, and how do I move those pieces around? Yeah, we bought a publication last year. So Freightways has had a publication. We organically built it. Uh, uh, and so we've been around, but we had the opportunity to actually buy another publication. So we started doing a lot of trucking. Uh, our focus was in the trucking business to start with. Uh, but we had the opportunity to buy a, an ocean publication called American Shipper. We paid six times EBITDA. Uh, it was a profitable the day we bought it. But when we put it into this broader ecosystem, the business revenue, we've doubled it because they were print publisher first, didn't understand uh, or didn't have the infrastructure or, or culture to really do digital well. Um, and so we have saw an immediate bump in traffic when we put it onto our content management system. But what it also enabled us to do is to go after an entirely different audience. We ended up with 30 to 40, I think 35,000 subscribers in this email list they were sending out every day. And only 2,000 of those subscribers matched our database that is over 100,000. And what was interesting about it is, is it enabled us to go to market and, and, and basically take the same staff that we had. We, we were able to acquire a couple more riders, but effectively... It helped us expand our audience, helped expand our content, but now we were relevant for some of these other advertisers. And what we were also able to do is take our data product into those communities that before wouldn't, didn't consider us a player in Ocean. It was the same set of data that we had. It, we were offering the same product, but, but the brands that were looking for our data services didn't identify us as an ocean data provider because they knew us as trucking. All the content, all of the information was uh, focused on trucking and we weren't relevant to that audience. And so I think of that to your point that you made is that that enabled us to then be relevant to that. They had a brand identity to this, this older publication that had been around for 70 years and we were able to get that brand identity by the moment we, we purchased it. It's a great example. What is the value of being the leading informational educational resource in your industry? And you just gave six reasons right there on how it changed the face of your organization. It's amazing if you do that. So that's where I love the example of, let's say that you are a, a mature company and you say, but we're going to launch a, this product that we have or a new product to that audience, but we don't have that audience yet. Well, how it's going to be so difficult 
to move that entire company and everything you're doing into a group that doesn't know who you are. Or you could go out and build, buy or build a relationship with that audience over time and then launch the product. It's just a, it's just easier to do that. I, I can't imagine why anyone would go into a market today when all these opportunities are in front of us now and say, we're going to do it the old-fashioned way. We're going to start advertising. We're going to create all this brand awareness. We're going to talk about how great our product is and all the features and benefits and blah, blah, blah. And we're going to send the sales team out. Well, give the sales team some air cover. I mean, give them some air cover so that you can go in and right away they're going to say, oh, yeah, I know you guys. You guys are wonderful. We want to work with you. Well, one one of the things that I I think is interesting that that I've seen as well is if you own a community, if you're if you're a voice of a community and you brought them in using media as that glue to your community, is that your product doesn't have to be perfect the day it's launched. Is that unlike a traditional media campaign where you've got all this advertising investment up front to sort of seed the market and explain it, th- there's a lot of potential of that product failing the moment it, it hits the. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gets in the market because it's not perfect. It's not vetted by the market. You haven't gotten a lot of data to figure out what works. And so you spend a lot of money and resources and energy launching the product into a market that may not be ready for that particular offering. Whereas if you, if you own a community, you can almost soft launch the product and get the community involved in that feedback loop and helping you improve upon it. And it get, in, in many ways, you're buying yourself some time and you're buying yourself an opportunity to fail, but fail quickly and continue to iterate on it if you own a community versus trying to launch it the traditional way. That's right. And, and then that's the whole idea behind minimum viable product, right? You go in there and you say, okay, here's an audience that trusts us. And if we fall on our face, they're not going away. And they will tell us exactly what they want to buy, how they want the product to, to, to act, uh, what they, we should price it at. And you can get all that detail. So, I mean, we've worked with a lot of large enterprises over the years that just use their audience as research for product development. I mean, that's, that's it. That's all they use it for. They don't, they don't monetize it other than the fact that we're going to launch these multi-million dollar brands, hopefully billion dollar brands. And before we do that, we're going to create a minimum viable product and send it to this audience that loves us. It works really well. So, so Joe, one thing I want to ask you about is the death of the third-party cookie. Is that uh, There's been a lot of conversation about uh, Google uh, phasing out the third-party cookie and what that means for uh, marketers, how would you, if if someone that's a marketer was talking about the cookie, how should they think about the death of the third party cookie? So yeah, so so what I would say is basically this whole thing with a third party cookie. All we need to know is we can't get the data from web users that we used to from other platforms. So what we have to do more than ever is rely on first party data. Like a good example is Kraft Foods, Food and Family. So Kraft Food and Family has millions of subscribers. They know everything about those subscribers. That's all first-party data because they've been um, uh, all the users there opted in to get say, hey, I want your content. Here's all my stuff. You can track me. All that you get that first-party data. You can get that. That's your um, that's your IP that you have. Uh, that is becoming so much more important right now because we can't advertise, we can't do programmatic and get the, the data that we used to. And we used to combine that third-party data with first-party data and we'd have a really good idea what's going on. Well, let's just say third-party data kind of going away, kind of much harder to get now. What do we do? We have to build direct relationships with 
consumers. Well, how do you how do you get direct relationships with an audience uh, in this day and age of all this content clutter out there? You better have something to say. And you better have something to say on a regular basis so they will give you, allow you this data in exchange for that wonderful information. So Joe, I'd like a few more minutes. Uh, if you're, you have a C-suite executive, a CEO or a chief marketing officer sit in front of you and they had to prioritize a couple of initiatives for 21, what would those be? Um, I, first of all, let's just talk about strategy. I would make the decision with your team whether or not this is something you that makes sense for your business. Because in a lot of cases, it doesn't. Like I, I would say if you're going to only go halfway and test it out a little bit and see what works and you're not sure, probably not for you. Like you really do have to have some true believers coming in there and say, look, we want to do this because to do it right, you have to do it consistently over a long period of time, it was, as we've talked about, to make it work. So first of all, is this something that's going to make sense? Okay, let's say you agree, look, we want to try something, we believe it, we are going to give it a long enough leash to make it successful. Great. Do one thing to one audience. Don't boil the ocean here, folks. Just do one thing. So that could be a podcast to a very particular audience you're trying to target with a very particular objective. Do that and do that for 12 months and to put some real marketing behind it. And then if that works, you'll learn and then you, maybe you can launch something else. What hurts to see, Craig, is when people, they, they, they get the passion, they get the fever for content marketing, and then they just do everything at once and they say, okay, we're going to do the mini web show. We're going to do two podcasts. We're going to do the blog. We're going to do this thing on TikTok. We're going to try Discord. Sir. They're doing all kinds of stuff. Well, that it always fails when you do that because you cannot be jack of all trades, master of none. You have to really focus on being great at one thing, learn what you're good at, listen to your audience over time, and then move forward. Just like Red Bull Media House didn't become Red Bull Media House by doing that. How did they do it? They started with one print magazine to a very focused audience. And then they turned into 15 years later, now they're you know, Red Bull Media House that's probably worth a billion dollars all by itself. So, so I would look at it that way. Go be, go, you know, go, go deep, but be simple with it and do the one platform, one audience over consistently over time, commit to at least 12 months, and then you'll learn enough to take your next steps. The other thing I see is a lot of people, like you said, they try one, they try it for a few months. They're not getting the response that they expected. Because this is a very slow grind. This is a marathon, not a sprint. And it takes a while. You have to have consistent cadence. Yep. You have to have consistent messaging. Uh, and you have to be, in, the content's got to be interesting enough for people to tune in. I think a lot of times uh, what I see is companies launch campaigns, are putting out a lot of messages for a few months. They don't get the objectives they want. They get distracted and they just give up. And they said, oh, that doesn't work. This content uh, marketing thing is ridiculous. It doesn't work. Well, you know what? I mean, you said the magic word. I know right off the bat when I go into a meeting if they're going to fail or not because they call it a campaign. Because you know what happens with all campaigns? They stop. They yeah. always stop. 
thankfully political campaigns stop, right? So <laughs> everything it all it always no, stops. Sort of, it hasn't stopped yet. <laughs> oh yeah, it does. maybe it never ends. Maybe uh, we're in that era. Really bad. This is twenty one. But, but yeah. that's the thing. Uh, the content is your promise to your customers. It is a promise that you have to deliver on over and over and over again. So if you start a podcast and you you send that out at Monday, 6 a.m. Eastern time for a weekly, you do it the next Monday at 6, the next Monday at 6, and I'm talking about on the minute. This is how precise we have to be because if you're a little bit off, sometimes they might not open it, and then you've lost them. And you can't, once you get that audience, you might take years to finally get that audience. And all you have to do is make one little mistake in cadence or consistency and you will lose them forever. So you have to make sure that you're making a a long-term commitment. This is not like saying, okay, I'm going to do a nine-time program in our trade newspaper magazine, or I'm going to do a six-month PPC campaign. Totally different than any of that. Yeah, I I appreciate it. Uh, Joe, I really appreciate your time here. Anything else that our audience should do? They certainly should check out the book, Killing Marketing, uh, which is all about the concept of content marketing, uh, epic content marketing. And uh, uh, also tune into the podcast. Uh, the podcast is actually really great. Uh, this Old Marketing, uh, which is a chance to hear you talk about uh, what's happening in the world of marketing. Yeah, well, no, thank you. Yeah, this old marketing is kind of the, I mean, that's the thing that how you and I met through the through the podcast. And then I've got the uh, Content Inc. is my new book coming out in May. So that basically talks about how to create the audience and then monetize that audience 10 different ways. So that's kind of what's coming out. And I, I guess what I would leave everyone with is, you know, I know how important it is to say, okay, here is our marketing goal. But really what we're focusing on is, there is a land grab going on right now for uh, audience real estate, basically audiences like uh, there's a real estate run or a gold run. I want people to think about it that way. That is actually what we're doing. We're all going out there and we're trying to grab that attention. It's happening right now in this industry. And I think that if we would like to see our jobs grow and our opportunities grow and our companies grow, I don't think we can ignore this anymore. I could have said five years ago, you don't have to worry about this. This is sort of on the fringe. A lot of, some people are having success. Some people don't worry about it. I think now, if you want to be a leader in the market, you ha- it's the, it's basically the one with the most influential audience will end up winning the day. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, Joe, I really appreciate your time. Uh, best of luck to the Browns and, uh, 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 we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Jeff.